Welcome to episode 99 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This will be a gear talk episode. Maybe Gearworks would be a good title for this one. Anyway, I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for everyone who likes going out under the stars. Shane, you wanted to talk about diagonals. So I have to ask, what's your angle? <laughs> uh right angle is it the right angle you're looking for <laughs> sure <laughs> um well so we've talked about at like in length we've talked about just about every aspect of the light path in a telescope um other than diagonals you know we've kind of briefly touched on them a little bit um but we really haven't spent much time talking about the differences because there actually are some variances uh, in the diagonal world. So I thought, let's talk about it. Um, All right. You know, it might be helpful to some of our listeners. And, uh, you know, we can talk about our opinions and whatever else. Sure. Okay. Well, let, let's start here. I'm going to get you to, to define a couple things um, yeah. to start off with. All right. So, so two-part question. What is a diagonal and what types of telescopes use diagonals? Because they're not used with, with every... Uh, telescope. Yeah. So a diagonal um, uh, makes observing a little more comfortable for uh, like refractors and then compound telescopes like Cassegrain's and Maksudov's. Um, and the diagonal is the, um, it, it's between the eyepiece and the telescope. So the diagonal connects to the telescope and then it comes usually in either most of the time a 90 degree angle um, so a right angle, which makes observing much more comfortable. Um, and then you connect your eyepiece into the diagonal. So that's kind of the quick, uh, definition of what the diagonal is and, and which telescopes you use it with. Um, so like Newtonians or Daub owners, they don't need a diagonal. They just have a focuser on the telescope. And, uh, uh, basically the secondary mirror in that telescope is at a 90 degree angle and sort of I guess, uh, you know, makes the, the need of a diagonal irrelevant. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess specifically, I think they, they refer to the, like what we call a diagonal is technically a star diagonal. Um, just kind of thinking on this, but, but mm -hmm. we, we, without exception, we would never call it a star diagonal. <laughs> um, and then the, the reflecting telescopes and other telescopes will use, um, they'll, they'll call it just a diagonal as well, a diagonal mirror, but typically they'll just specify that that's just, just the mirror. So yeah, like you were saying, inside the Newtonian tube, there is a mirror, but it's inside the tube. It's sort of part and parcel with the telescope, not something you can as easily change out, although some people do um, for, for different uh, sizes or, or purposes. Uh, or whatever, and that that mirror in the in the uh, Newtonian is mounted at 45 degrees, uh, and as such, it, it brings the light cone out uh, at 90 degrees. Whereas the 90 degree star diagonals that we have uh, have mirrors in there mounted at 45 degrees. So, uh, sort of get into the nitty gritty of it. The the mirror itself is at 45 degree angles, but it but it bounces the light, so it brings it out at at, at a 90 degree angle from the uh, from the focus end. Uh, of the refractor or the Cassegrain or the Max Sudoff. Yeah. Yeah. Good point about the, the mirror angle. I guess that uh, the way I described it was a little misleading. Yes. Misleading our, our listeners again. 
yeah. don't don't trust Shane. That's the moral of the story in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's not misleading at all. Not not misleading at all. But we do have two types of uh, of mirror diagonals we use in our in our refractors or smic cassegrains, and oftentimes, and you see this sometimes almost too often, and that's uh, forty five degree um, angled uh, star diagonals. Yeah, so there's uh, the 90 degrees, which, like you said, is, is more common uh, for the amateur astronomer, but uh, a number of telescopes that you'll buy, particularly in department stores, may come with a 45 degree angle uh, diagonal, and those are useful, but those are more commonly used for terrestrial viewing and not astronomical viewing. Um, and, and it's just a matter of kind of where it puts you as the observer. Um, if your telescope is um, parallel to the earth, you know, the ground that you're um, standing on and you're looking at trees or birds or whatever else, 45 degrees places you as the observer at a very comfortable angle, especially if you're sitting in a chair. Um, but if you were to now point that telescope upwards and look at the stars with a 45 degree angle uh, diagonal, you're going to have to sit on the ground. Like it's going to place you as the observer very, very low. Um, but changing that uh, uh, angle on the diagonal to 90 degrees um, makes it much more comfortable to observe with uh, for nighttime observing. Yeah, I, I had a 45 degree for that I used for about a year or so and when I bought my first 80 millimeter F5 uh, Acromat. I was, I was living in a small apartment and I, I had an eight inch daub back home that, that I did use for most of my observing. Um, but then you know, of course, I, I started uh, going to the astronomy club site and didn't have my eight inch around. So I just was using this, this little telescope. Um, and very quickly, the 45 degree angle uh, diagonal wore, wore pretty thin on me. So, so I splurged and, and bought a decent quality uh, 90 degree uh, one and a quarter for it. Um, and that just, that just is, is such a better experience uh, really for, for nighttime. Uh, observing. Uh, but typically, these come in two sizes, uh, 1.25 inch and, and two inch. Um, and, and so what's the difference in, in those sizes? I guess it kind of depends on, on the size uh, of the focuser the telescope has. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's really just a matter of matching all of your components. Uh, if your telescope can accept a two inch diagonal and you have two inch eyepieces, then, you know, that is definitely the way to go. Uh, a, a two inch diagonal is fairly versatile as well, because you can get an adapter that just sits inside of the diagonal that allows it to accept inch and a quarter eyepieces. So then you can go between both barrel sizes. Um, but there is a pretty substantial difference in size and weight between an inch and a quarter diagonal and a, a two inch, you know, they yeah. are, the two inch is, um, you know, the, the, the measurement, you know, an inch and a quarter to two inches isn't large on a ruler, uh, but holy smokes, the, the actual like physical size of a two inch diagonal, um, the first time you see it is probably, at least for me, it was kind of like, holy smokes, I didn't think it would be that big. Yeah. Yeah. Going, going to two inch accessories from one and a quarter is like a whole different ball game. It's just like, it feels like things are three or four times the size. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I think probably the big separator in terms of quality. So like, um, you know, inch and a quarter and two inch are just sizes. Now, the next thing I think maybe to mention is, you know, there's going to be some cheaper entry level ones that I don't know 
you know, they'll probably show more scatter and, and maybe not allow you to achieve as tight of a focus. Um, and, and probably the big separator between, you know, some of those entry level ones and the next step up would be look for ones that are, that have the dielectric, uh, coatings applied to them. Usually that's an indicator, um, that you're going to, you know, get a diagonal that is, is pretty darn good and will make you pretty happy. Um, and like basically all of the telescope makers, Orion, uh, explore scientific, on and on and on, um, provide diagonals with the dielectric coatings and the dielectric coatings just allow for better light transport or trans transmission. Um, and they make the mirror tougher so that you can clean it without scratching it easily. However, just like all other optics, you know, my recommendation, and I think you're probably of the same mind, Chris, mm -hmm. is that, you know, you probably don't want to touch your optics all that often, if at all, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, you'll, you'll likely do more damage to your optics than what small, uh, almost impossible or impossible to de uh, detect impact a little bit of dust would have uh, in your view. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's certainly, certainly true, Shane. Um, now, like, you know, things, things have improved over time. Like I know, um, when I recently bought a, a little telescope, it came, I think, yeah, it came with a 1.25 inch diagonal and it was decent. Like I was surprised how, how decent it was. So like, as far as a beginner went, like with my, with my nephew, who I was piecing it together for, like, I sent that with it and I thought it was perfectly good. Um, and with, with the other telescope I bought, it had come with a 1.25 inch, uh, prism and that thing, not good. <laughs> mm -hmm. least. So maybe with that, um, I'll let you kind of explain the difference between prisms and, and mirrors. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great distinction. So most diagonals, um, that you'll see available are mirrors. Um, and it's just a mirror at a 45 degree angle, like Chris said in the housing, and it bounces the light up to your eye. Whereas a prism is a whole different animal. And, um, uh, the older telescopes, um, that I've talked about, like from the 1960s, uh, they all came with prisms basically. And some of the newer telescopes, um, that are, you know, very entry level may come with a prism as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, you, there, I think probably more so than mirror diagonals, um, there, there's a huge gap, uh, with prisms of lower quality and decent to high quality. Um, yeah. like, like you can get probably a, a like a, a fairly cheap mirror diagonal and it's going to perform. Okay. Like you're probably yep. not going to, uh, have a, a bad experience, but if you have a cheap prism, it may be to the point where you, you think your whole setup is, is garbage because you can't yep. get a good focus. Um, yeah. now with that being said, uh, don't disparage all prisms. Um, prisms of good quality are phenomenal. Um, and they are typically uh, preferred at focal lengths over like F7. So if you have F7 or slower, um, the, the prism typically um, will show less scatter um, from stars um, and probably provide you, you know, a more contrasty, uh, sharper view. Um, there, you know, we've talked about Bill Paoloni quite a bit from Cloudy Nights, and I think he's conducted one of the best comparisons uh, between various mirror diagonals and various prism diagonals. And he wrote up this, um, this wonderful article uh, about his approach uh, of how he evaluated them all and then the results. And um, his results were that 
you know, prisms exceed the performance of mirrored diagonals in slower telescopes. Now, if you're below uh, F7, so, you know, faster telescopes, F5, F6, um, a mirror um, was preferred. But um, I mentioned that just to say that, again, prisms uh, should not be ignored. And, you know, an interesting thing that um, I think Bill reported in that test was that the prisms actually cooled a little bit faster. Um, so Really? Yeah, yeah. So we've talked about you have to acclimate your telescope to the outside temperature. Well, that also includes your diagonal. There's, you know, that mirror or that prism needs to be at the same temperature as the outside in order to perform well. Huh. And um, yeah, I'm, yeah, he, he reported that the prisms uh, cool a little quicker. Now, who knows if that's because of the prism or just the design of that particular diagonal? You know, maybe, wow. maybe there was other factors uh, that contributed to that. But yeah, it's uh, an interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, so yeah, the 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 prism that I received it was a ninety degree um, with a an eighty millimeter f five, and uh, it was it was so poor. It was really unfortunate that they even put that in because the other eighty millimeter f five I bought came with the absolute cheapest uh, mirror, and it was it was perfectly good. Like it was totally totally fine. Um, and it was just really unfortunate. And I think it even, I think the prism even was correct image. It was 90 degree, but correct image. I still have it. I may still have it somewhere. I may have just thrown it in the trash, but it was so poor that like my wife came out and looked through it and she's like, what's wrong with this telescope? Like it was like on a bright star, there was big streaks through the field of view on the moon. Like it was wild. Right. Um, it was so bad. And then like the other thing I, I found anyway is is that like through a main telescope, like through a finder, you know, I could kind of see having a correct image um, when you're going back and forth for the charts, but I'm just so used now to, to having that mirror reversed uh, image that, uh, holy cow, like I was disoriented to say the best. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. when I put it in, I wasn't, I, I, I can't remember if I even bothered looking in it before I just threw it in the telescope. I just thought, oh, it's kind of a funny looking cell or whatever. I, I don't think I ever looked in it. And then when I went outside, I'm like, what is going on with this? It was just shocking because things were correctly oriented, but very distorted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've read, and again, I, I don't have any experience with these, but uh, William Optics and Bader make 45 degree angle prisms that are correct image. And I've heard that they're okay. Uh, you know, yeah. if you want to use them for astronomy, you can, and they're not too bad. Yeah. Um, but those are the only two that I've heard are passable. Um, when you get into those correct image ones, they just seem like the quality's not there. Um, so, yeah. you know, word of caution, not saying that that'll be the, that, that, that's going to be everybody's experience, but that's what I've read. And, uh, in some cases, like with some of the cheaper correct image ones, uh, I've experienced as well. Yeah. So one other thing I want to add, and I'm not sure how much, how much more you want to chat about star diagonals. Um, but when I was looking for the widest true field, so I, I had bought my, or I was buying the, uh, the Borg Pentax five inch apochromat, which has a 750 millimeter focal length. It's F6. And, and my, my wife for, for a wedding gift had bought me the Pentax, uh, 40 XW, which should max out a, a two inch, uh, focuser. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but uh, this is a lot of glass and this is a pretty expensive. This is like sort of my, 
my ultimate portable telescope, which, uh, which I haven't used as much recently, but, but that was my main telescope for like 10 years. And that was my plan. And I wanted to observe all this stuff with it, which I, which I did. Um, but I wanted to make sure that I wasn't vignetting. And so what vignetting is, is if, uh, in this case, anyway, if the, um, light cone entering that diagonal um, is, is impeded by the diagonal and the uh, eyepiece can take that larger light cone, then you'll see this, this image uh, degradation or, or light drop off uh, as you get towards the edge of, of that field. And after I placed the order for the telescope and, and my wife had, had bought me the, the eyepiece and it was sort of sitting on my shelf, um, I, I was doing some reading, like what diagonal to get. And I quickly came to understand that there's actually very few diagonals where you can, can max that out. Now, most people, a lot of people who observe, don't worry about it. They're like, well, I only use it as a finder or I only use it as, you know, whatever. I'm not going to use the widest field, but I'm like, man, I already own the widest field eyepiece. I have this super wide field apochromatic telescope coming that's really designed for wide field. It's, it's an astrograph, but I'm going to use it visually mostly for wide field. This is why I'm buying it. I don't want to run into this. So um, I did a pile of research and it turned out that um, there's only a handful of ones that, that won't impede on that light cone, or if, if they do, it's pretty minimal. There was the uh, Lumicon astrophysics and I think the Teleview, um, maybe, maybe the, and the newer Bader one as well. Uh, the BBHS or something like that. I think I think it it also uh, doesn't doesn't impede or doesn't impede very much. Um, and I end up going with the the Lumicon. And they weren't honestly like those those diagonals. Um, although they're high end diagonals, they're they're certainly uh, sort of competitively priced uh, amongst each other. But I went with the the Lumicon. And the Lumicon is a strange looking diagonal because it it's sliced off. Whereas the the typical ninety degree diagonals have like a box on the bottom it actually is, uh, is flat across the mirror. So you actually see that 45 degree angle. So this is a, a diagonal that, that almost looks like a 45 degree diagonal, but then right at the top, the, the light cone exits at 90 degrees. So it's kind of, a lot of people don't like the look. I, I like the look. I think it looks different and I, I kind of like it. It also shaves off incredible weight. So when I go and travel, my uh, Lumicon diagonal only weighs about the same as an average one and a quarter inch diagonal. So I also really like that as well. And then um, back when I bought this, Lumicon was the one that was sourcing the mirrors for Teleview and astrophysics. So uh, I also like the fact that they were like the original source and you can, you can actually buy different quality levels uh, from Lumicon when you can get them as soon as you can't get them. And so, um, so recently this past year, I bought two more, I bought a 95% and a 98 or 99%. Um, and certainly, uh, they're they're really really nice nice diagonals, and I didn't get any any of this vignetting any any image drop off in uh, in the three point six or three point seven degree true field I was I was getting with that five inch. So kind of wanted to mention yeah. that as well. Yeah, cool. Um, maybe just a few more points about diagonals. Um, uh, I prefer diagonals that have a compression ring rather than a set screw. Um, so a set screw applies tension by just a screw kind of drilling into your eyepiece. And over time, it'll leave little marks on your eyepiece barrel. It doesn't impact the eyepiece performance, but it just makes it kind of marred up and maybe not quite as uh, pretty. Uh, whereas a compression ring, you avoid all of that. Um, 
so that's quite handy. Um, uh, you know, it maintains kind of the value of your eyepiece uh, because there's no damage being done to it. Um, and then the other thing is um, some diagonals, uh, like the, the barrel or the eyepiece holder can detach and unscrew. Not all of them, like uh, Teleview is just one block of aluminum um, and you can't remove any of that stuff. So there's pros and cons to that. Um, the, the advantage of being able to remove those is if you do get some dust in your mirror or your prism, um, it's a little bit nicer to be able to remove the nose piece and the uh, uh, eyepiece holder uh, to use like your, your little uh, dust blower thing to remove the dust. It just cleans it a little bit easier. Um, and then the other thing, uh, or, and I guess maybe an advantage of like the fixed uh, uh, Teleview style diagonal where you can't remove that stuff is it just that stuff can't become loose on you and, and rotate when you don't want it to. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, one more uh, advantage about the removable stuff, if you go with like the Bader style, um, all of their threadings uh, are T, uh, T2. So it's a very like common standard. And what that allows you to do is, is like, it's very modular. You can get a Bader diagonal and un, you know, unscrew some of that stuff and add different accessories onto it. Uh, for example, like if you're going to do some bino viewing, you want the shortest light path possible. So you can, uh, if you have the Bader stuff, you can shorten the light path by removing the eyepiece holder and putting in a small adapter, which really shrinks things up. Yeah. Um, quite handy. And, and like another accessory that Bader has for their inch and a quarter diagonals um, is a, a little helical focuser, uh, which is the eyepiece holder. So like my Takahashi 76, when I first got it, it just had a single speed focuser on it. Um, but using the, the, uh, the Bader diagonal that I have with the helical focuser for the eyepiece holder, that became my fine focus and it works phenomenally well. Um, so there's, um, there's kind of, you know, uh, I guess some different options out there that certainly aren't needed, but just, you know, be aware that they're there because you may find value in them. And, uh, you know, I certainly did. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Bader stuff because of the adaptability and, you know, the, the, um, choices that you have to, again, remove barrels, add barrels, like that inch and a quarter Bader prism that I have, I can remove the inch and a quarter, um, barrel that goes into the telescope and put a two inch on there. So it would fit a, a two inch, uh, telescope and, I just think that that's cool. You know, you, mm -hmm. you can basically do whatever you want with it. Hmm. Cool. Well, I guess sort of on a, on my last point on this, and that is that uh, I only really ever have, have had one diagonal for, for most of my observing in the past 15 or 16 years. I just, just use that one uh, Lumicon diagonal. And Shane, earlier you, you mentioned the fact that in less expensive diagonals, they, they can kind of wear out or whatever. And, uh, and honestly, uh, inexpensive diagonals might run 50 bucks for one and a quarter, maybe even less, and then maybe a hundred bucks or so for, for a two inch. And I see, like, when I look online, I see a lot of people buying, um, diagonals quite frequently. And, uh, you know, hundred bucks here and a hundred bucks there on two inch diagonals seems like an awful lot of money to me. So, you know, that this past year I bought a couple spares uh, from Lumicon in a sale and I think I paid like a couple hundred bucks 
for each. And now I, I kind of have them sitting in uh, plastic wrap on my shelf and I have to transition out from my, my old 15 or 16 year old one to one of these new ones here. I have to, I have to get, get it modified um, sometime in the next year or so, but I, I didn't want to pass up on, on the price, but you know, I, I definitely recommend um, getting a really good diagonal, get a, get a really good teleview astrophysics uh, like one, maybe one of the baiters, a lot of different options with the baiters can be a bit confusing. Um, or like if you can source uh, a Lumicon, um, I really like them. Some people don't. Um, the, it's sort of the, the Lumicons, you either love them or, or you dislike them a great deal. Um, I'm, I'm in the Lovett camp. Does not have the compression ring that, that you like. It has nylon screws instead. It's pretty utilitarian. Mm. I like that. It's super, super light. So I never think anything of it when I'm taking it with me. It takes up less room in my bag. It, it's no heavier than a one and a quarter or like a heavier one and a quarter. So I never think about taking a one and a quarter with me. And when I travel, I just take a really light two inch eyepiece. So I just love having those, those wide field, field of views. So anyway, that, that's kind of like my, my parting note is, is that uh, I, I think if people are into astronomy, and they're maybe to, they're to the point, maybe they've had one, I have one two inch diagonal. And then um, I realized that definitely two inch eyepieces uh, were, were for me and I was gonna be buying more of them. Um, so I just invested uh, right off the hop, uh, basically uh, spent the extra hundred bucks and got a really good diagonal. And then that's kind of lived with me for, for really the, the life of a, of a diagonal is probably 12 to, to 15 years. And I'm just outside of that now. So it's, it's time to, to get another, but I see, I, I was reading posts last night and there was one person they had, I think they said they had 10 inexpensive diagonals. I'm like, that's like a thousand dollars in diagonals minimum. Right. So oh. I thought that, I thought I would kind of make this point. Uh, certainly if maybe if you're a, a collector of every cheap diagonal that comes out, I, I guess that's one thing, but I would say <laughs> just, just get a good one, settle in like any of these ones yeah. that, that we've mentioned here. They're, they're not, they're not really that expensive if, if this is what you're going to be doing and it's, and it's less expensive if you're going to be going out and, and buying new diagonals all the time, because you're, you're seeking some sort of magical diagonal experience that, uh, that actually doesn't really exist, you know, apart from the ones, the, the four that we recommend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Great point. And, and, you know, telescopes will change probably in, in many observers lifetime. Like you'll, you'll purchase some, you'll sell some, you'll use a certain telescope for a period of time and then maybe use a different one for another period of time. But what remains constant are the eyepieces and the diagonal, in my opinion. Yeah. So that that's an area where I, I don't mind spending some money because it's sort of a buy or cry once and then love it for the rest of your life uh, because you're going to use those components uh, on all of your telescopes during all of your observing. So um, great, great advice, I think, Chris, to say, you know, uh, get a good diagonal because you know you'll use it forever and and it'll be uh it'll be something that um you know you, you don't have to question it just performs well yeah and and i do kind of think that goes for a lot of different things like i think it's it's good to put in the time looking at things like again like my 60 millimeter takahashi is a, is a good example it's not an inexpensive telescope it's not the most expensive 60 millimeter you can get by by any measure either but but for me, it's sort of like the best one. And, uh, you know, and that telescope has traveled with me all over the place now. And I have, I have a handful of two inch eyepieces, uh, sort of a home and away team. And, and the lighter ones uh, go with me when, when I fly. And, uh, 
you know, the other ones are, are for when I'm around here. And uh, it, it's a pretty, it's a pretty set set, you know, like I'm not buying and, and going through a lot of eyepieces. Now, now there is a lot of fun to, to buying new stuff. And I do like to get stuff from, from time to time. I've been, I've been buying more now during the pandemic. I probably bought more during the pandemic than in, in the past 16 years, um, which was really when I, when I bought my last kind of, kind of set of gear, but I'm working on different projects now and it's time to, to maybe upgrade some, some of the stuff. Um, but again, like I, I think that sometimes people should, uh, should just, just stop and hold and, you know, learn the night sky and then uh, really enjoy the, the experience. And then, you know, uh, you know, if you want to play around with some things that that's cool, but, uh, but not to, not to get too focused on, on buying like a, like a large quantity of, of things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. For sure. Yeah. So let's talk about Larry sent us an email. He sent us an email that, that he labeled, he labeled that this would be good for the mailbag, but I actually thought that this um, was among the best emails that we receive. We do really appreciate hearing from listeners. Um, and once in a while, somebody will send us something um, that we think is, is so good. It, it, it really, it, it wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't give this question justice just, just to give it five minutes in an episode. So we're, we're going to give it uh, the rest of this episode here. And Shane, do you, do you want to read? I, I've kind of paraphrased it a bit in, in three extremely short paragraphs. Do you just want to read what, what Larry wrote us? Oh, yeah. Um, I'll need a minute to pull that up. Uh, oh, well, I, I, can, I can read it. That's fine. Oh. That's okay. fine. Um, you know, we do this very informal. We don't really script these things out that much. I did put it in the show notes. Um, oh. oh yeah, here we go. There you go. Um, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Cause you were talking to him and I didn't want to kind of steal your, your voice from this. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe just before I get into it, one of the things that I, like you said, this is a really good uh, email that we really appreciated is I think sometimes you and I get going and, and we talk and sometimes we skip a step in terms of uh, assumed knowledge or, or, um, well, really, that that's it. Assume knowledge, and and I think what what Larry wrote here is one of our one of the times we've overlooked um, maybe not talking about an important topic um, because you and I have just done this for a long time, and and sometimes uh, you know we miss some things like this. But yeah, uh, Larry wrote. I mentioned before that I was thinking about picking up an older sixty millimeter telescope. Well, the more I thought about that. Uh, the more I've been thinking that I don't really need another long focal length refractor. What I could justify buying is a shorter focal length wide field refractor. Uh, All of Chris's talk about the joys of an ST80 have had an impact, I guess. Um, I've had a question that has confused me. Uh, What is the advantage of a two inch focuser slash diagonal in terms of increased field of view? And uh, you and I, this is, this is the part that you and I think have overlooked a little bit. We talk a lot about inch and a quarter and two inch, but I don't think we've really spent time to talk about, you know, what that means in terms of uh, uh, performance and experience at the eyepiece. Yeah. And so earlier on in, in this episode, we talked about the 1.25 and the two inch diagonals. So uh, I think people, sh- people have come to understand that the 1.25 inch there for your one and one and a quarter inch uh, eyepieces of which that's, that's probably going to be uh, more, more of your eyepieces though. It may not be. Um, and then we all have a, a bit of a selection of, of two inch eyepieces. I have a, a 40, a 30, uh, 12 and a half. I think I, I have another one in there. Uh, and then I have like uh, lots of one and a quarter, so like a 20, a 14, a 10, 
and uh, seven and five and three and a half and five and three point all kinds of ones. Um, but you you can use the one of the quarters in the in the two inch the advantage of the two inches that it gives you sort of that ultimate uh, wide field of view as well. You're you're able to accommodate uh, a variety of different sizes. Uh, really is is what it comes down to. Um, but Shane, I, I think where we should lead off from here is uh, is maybe another set of definitions I'm going to hit you up with. Hope you don't mind me do. I kind of spring these <laughs> on you, and then you know I, I think we we have a bit of bit of a discussion. So what, what's a, a TFOV and what is AFOV, and what what is the the difference be, between these two uh, acronyms? So TFOV is true field of view, and then the A is apparent, so apparent field of view. Um, so the eyepieces are advertised with apparent field of view. Um, so the Teleview Panoptics are advertised as 68 degrees uh, apparent field of view. But the one we really care about is the true field of view, which is how much of the sky is visible through that eyepiece with right. that particular telescope. Um, so, you know, my 68 degree, uh, 24 millimeter panoptic, um, will give me, you know, um, it depends on the telescope, but like in the little mini Borg that we've talked about a lot, it'll give me a nine degree true field of view. So I'll get to see nine degrees of the sky through that eyepiece with that telescope. If I'm using it on my Takahashi 76, I think I haven't done the calculation, but I think the field of view is just under the true field of view is just under three degrees of the sky that I can mm -hmm. see with that, that same eyepiece, just different telescope. Yeah. Um, so go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say that the, that the, uh, and you're, you're totally right here. The uh, apparent field of view is how eyepieces are advertised. So kind of, it kind of gives you an indication and it gives you um, some numbers to kind of very loosely work with. And then the true field is, is what that eyepiece actually provides through any given instrument, right? So the apparent field is just kind of what you get at zero power if you're just kind of to hold it up and, and look at your wall or floor or something like that and why you would do that. And then, then the true field is, is going to be um, when, you, when you factor in um, it, that into, in, into the optical chain, uh, like whatever telescope you're, you're doing. But the real, so there's, there's some hard numbers though, because regardless of those apparent fields and those apparent fields can, can vary a little bit. There's different ways of calculating those. Um, but to actually find out what those true fields are, you kind of ignore that apparent field. Uh, it turns out. And what you're looking for is you're looking for what's called the field stock diameter. So, so the size of, of the, I think it's the bottom lens in the eyepiece. So for our one and a quarter inch eyepiece, and we talked about a few in the past episode, you've talked about your Panoptic 24 a lot. Um, what you're looking at is somewhere between uh, 27 millimeters and 30 millimeters will be uh, 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 your rough uh, maximum field stops uh, for the one and a quarter, and there actually isn't isn't a huge difference between. I think, I think Shane, your panoptic has like a twenty seven point something, and I I think there's there's another one that's twenty eight, and you know things like that. There's not huge differences in the in the actual field um, that you'll get, but those provide the the widest field of views, and I think it's a it's a pretty small number. I think. Uh, there's the Panoptic 24, uh, which is 68 degrees. 
there's the APM 24, which, which comes out to 65 degrees. Um, and then I think there's an Explore Scientific 24, which is also labeled as 68. And there used to be a mead that was 24 and 68. And I think, I think there either is a new mead and, and maybe a Celestron. Um, and those are, those are actually based on the APM uh, model. I think APM is actually licensed to, to those companies or something like that. Uh, to produce, uh, to produce those. Um, but in general, they all give about the widest field of view you can get with, uh, with a one and a quarter. Now, what makes it a little bit confusing is that as, as people are getting into astronomy, they'll start to read that, um, you know, well, the, the higher, you know, sort of the number on your eyepiece in millimeters, uh, the lower power you're going to get. So they might look at something like, um, Oh, I don't know, like a like a thirty-seven or a thirty-eight millimeter uh, eyepiece, uh, but that eyepiece might be like a, an orthoscopic or something that only has like a thirty-five uh, or forty-degree field of view or something. I've seen some of them are, are pretty small, um, and they may have have that maximum uh, field stop, but they may not. And in fact, uh, really, the, those ones that we mentioned, the panoptic and uh, and the APM, those are probably at the height. Of, uh, of optical quality for, for your maximum field stop, even though um, they don't have that, that longer or higher number to give you the lower power. So it, it's a little bit of a strange situation where sometimes the lower power eyepieces won't necessarily, for a variety of reasons, have the widest field of view. And I, I think that that's an important, uh, an important distinction to make with, with all eyepieces, something people may not realize. Yeah, yeah, that is a good point. Um, um, like my 40 millimeter Kellner, um, provides about the same field of view as the 24 millimeter panoptic. So, um, yep. longer focal length eyepiece doesn't necessarily mean wider field of view. It really comes down to that, uh, that field stop. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of a special eyepiece sort of standalone, but, uh, but yeah, if people are looking to max it out that they, they need to kind of understand that it's, that it's all in the field stop and you need to look at 27 to 30 millimeter field stops, regardless of, of whether it's going to give you higher or lower power or, or whatever, but to each their own. I mean, there can be reasons to go with like a 40 million, you might have like an F 10 scope. Um, think about like that nice little Borg uh, 50 millimeter F 10 that, that's been kicking around for a while uh, on some of the used sites and, you know, having a 40 millimeter uh, uh, Kellner, like, like you have Shane would be, would be really amazing to have in that. Right. So, um, but uh, on the flip side, if, if you were going to get like a, like a 50 millimeter F5 or something, then uh, like you said, your panoptic is, is probably uh, going to be a more enjoyable uh, and more usable experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and maybe another point about field stop is it's actually hard information to find. Um, a yeah. lot of the eyepiece manufacturers don't really advertise it. Um, uh, you, typically, you have to rely on other amateurs measuring the field stop. Um, Teleview is one of the few that does publish it. Um, yep. so, you know, you still use the apparent field of view as a bit of a gauge to tell you, you know, where, how, how that, or how wide that particular eyepiece will be compared to others with a similar barrel size, but, um, field stop is the actual way of calculating it. Yeah. I was looking at this last night. I mean, this is something that I think an awful lot about, even though we haven't talked about it too much is the business of, of the field stop. So, uh, companies that, that publish these include Teleview, Bader, um, Masayama. And I don't know if Pentax does publish theirs or not, but if you, 
if you do want to find them out, um, the best thing to do is just take your eyepiece and then say, say it's a Pentax 40 millimeter XW, just type that in and then type field stop diameter. And then uh, you'll be taken to a nice cloudy nights link because typically that's information somebody's uh, gathered up on, on cloudy nights and, and you're able to, uh, to take advantage of that. Like, uh, like we've mentioned Bill before, he's, he's pretty good at measuring those and publishing them uh, on there. So I'm going to just go ahead. Sorry, Chris, I just want to interrupt you on that. And um, there, there's an awesome sticky post on cloudy nights, go to the eyepiece forum Perfect. And it's, uh, there's eyepiece buying guide and it's updated annually. It's a giant spreadsheet with just about every known eyepiece in there. And it's a collection of all of these measurements. So like, it, you know, it'll list the manufacturer, the focal length, the apparent field of view, um, and if known the field stop. And yep. I think there's probably a few other things in there. So if you're, if you're considering a new eyepiece purchase, that document is awesome because you know, it's a spreadsheet. You can sort it. You can do all sorts of ways to manipulate the data so that you can see, um, you know, say all inch and a quarter eyepieces that have a field stop greater than 25 millimeters or something like that. And um, it's a, it's a real handy resource. So cloudy nights uh, and it's the eyepiece buying guide. Yeah, that's an awesome, awesome recommendation. I think, uh, I think there, there's a few people that contribute to that. There's quite a few people that contribute to that. Um, one of them is, I think Don Pensack, I'm probably getting his name wrong, but he, he runs a company. I'm, I've, I haven't used them before, but they're very reputable called eyepieces, et cetera, ETC and, uh, or eyepieces.com or something like that. Anyway, um, people can look them up. Uh, I think he's out of California or something uh, competitively priced and uh, excellent eyepieces. And that's his, that's his business as far as I know. And uh, he's a frequent poster on the forums. Uh, people buy from him and, and he's, they ask questions. He's like, like live and in person kind of thing on there, like 24 seven, it seems. And uh, seems like a, like an excellent uh, rep reputable source for, for this information. I think he kind of helps cobble, cobble that together. And uh, he has some opinions, but to be honest, for somebody who's, who's actually selling this stuff, he's, he's more informative than, than trying to uh, just, just trying to make sales or anything like that. So so it's pretty good. So I'm going to get into something here, Shane. Now I, I put our notes in here from the emails um, we, we had used when we were replying back to uh, to Larry. I didn't know if you like wanted to read your email or you just want to use it as as like notes for this or or what. Yeah, I, I can read my response. Um, sure. So I just said, uh, good question. Um, so the simple answer is two inch eyepieces have the ability uh, to provide wider field of view than an inch and a quarter due to having the potential for a much larger field stop. So with my 76 millimeter telescope, um, which is a 570 millimeter focal length, uh, the widest field I can get with an inch and a quarter is 2.86 degrees. Uh, the widest field uh, with a two inch is 4.89 degrees. So a full two degrees more. Um, so uh, the 24 millimeter panoptic and the 41 millimeter panoptic provide the largest field of views in their respective barrel diameters. Now there's others, right? Those are just teleview. Uh, those mm -hmm. are the ones I own, but like you mentioned, like the Pentax 40 is the same thing, right? It has the, the largest field stop possible in a two inch. And I know there's other manufacturers that uh, compete in, in those areas. Uh, and then I just said, uh, this website is a fun resource for figuring out your field, your, I should have probably said your field of view based on eyepiece and telescope combinations. 
Um, and we'll put this in the show notes, uh, but it's a, a astronomy.tools slash calculators slash field underscore of underscore view. Hmm. Basically, if you go to Google and you just type in telescope field of view, FOV, telescope FOV calculator search, uh, I think it's the first hit. And um, it's awesome. Like you, you, you have to pick an object. So I just pick M1 all of the time from the drop down. But then you fill out the rest of the details, your telescope aperture, focal length, um, then it has a whole bunch of uh, eyepieces loaded into its database. So you can pick those from a drop-down menu. Um, but if it doesn't have the eyepiece you're considering, you can, again, just plug in the, the uh, focal length and the apparent field of view. And then it tells you, like it calculates what your true field of view will be and a bunch of other little stats. So it's a, it's a handy little resource. But Chris, you yeah, also it, had uh, some, oh, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, because I work in research and I can't have somebody else do my maths for me. So I have to do my own. So I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. I, I think it's a great, it's a great recommendation. So the one thing with the, with the Teleview uh, eyepieces is, and, and this is kind of what they're renowned for is they really give like the maximum uh, sharp field of view. So even though you can probably squeeze a few more millimeters out of um, a one and a quarter barrel, what, what they do is when they give you a 24 millimeter, it's, it's pretty much sharp to the, to the edge. And this, this is not a controversial thing to say at all. Um, it's the, the Penta or the, uh, the pan optics by, by Teleview are, are just excellent. Now, when you, when you go to like uh, a Pentax or another provider, um, sometimes you might get um, like a little bit of um, like, like optical uh, fall off at, at the very edge. So I think like with the 41 panoptic, um, the field stop in that is 46 and a half because what, what Teleview found is that in the majority of telescopes, that's where it would be sharp too. Um, but like my Pentax has, has another half millimeter on the edge, but definitely, I mean, you, you can see the difference between the, the Pentax and the panoptic and um, the difference, and this is pretty hair splitting differences. So you're, you're gaining um, arc minutes <laughs> in field of view, sometimes arc seconds between eyepieces. Um, and why might you choose one over the other um, is, is coming down to personal preference. The other is how much you're gonna use uh, nebula filters. So I use nebula filters quite a bit and you actually notice those fall offs uh, quite a bit less. Uh, when, you, when you're using the nebula filters, but mostly it's just uh, personal preference or, you know, and one of the things can be cost that the Teleview, some of them uh, can be pretty, pretty expensive. So anyway, so I'm going to get into the, the maths here uh, a, a little bit. So um, I'm just going to give it like this. So all that, all the website the chain is provided is doing, and certainly people can use that. And that is a, a super handy resource. But if you kind of want to run the numbers yourself, all you need to do, regardless of the, the eyepiece uh, any, and anything else that we've said, you just need to take the field stop diameter divided by the focal length of the telescope and, mod and multiply it by radian, which is 57.3. And that will actually give you the exact, or it should give you the exact true field uh, of an eyepiece. Now, if any of the numbers are wrong or something, then then all bets are off, But uh, but you've actually... Uh, got total control over it. So with my uh, 47 millimeter field stop in my Pentax XW, um, when I was trying to figure out the, the actual true field of view that it's going to give me in my uh, five inch 
uh, a Parker mat, which has a 750 millimeter focal length. Uh, I just take the 47 field stop divided by uh, 750 and then multiply it by 57.3. And that gives a 3.6 degree uh, true field of view, regardless of what Pentax says, the apparent field of view, regardless of any other uh, numbers that, that might be floating around out there. I think if you actually, you know, a lot of, a lot of what people will do is they'll take the magnification um, and they'll, they'll divide that apparent field by the magnification, which is very rough and it always gives a slightly larger number. So I think if you divide like uh, 70 degrees apparent field by the 18.6 I get there, you get like a, like a three and, and three quarters. So like 3.75, which, which you can see that difference. And that's um, something I found kind of annoying. I was making my little circles for finders and I was finding that I was, I was overestimating my field of views. And so I was like, I, I need to actually get that formula in my head. So it's something uh, I'm running all the time. Now, if I had a uh, only a one and a quarter inch focuser on that telescope. And I wanted to know, and, and I had Shane's 24 or also the, the uh, Teleview 32 millimeter Plossel, which I had for a while before I crushed it in a vise. Um, those both have about a 27 millimeter field stop. So you take the 27, you divide it by the 750, you multiply it by the 57.3, and that gives you pretty much exactly two degree field of view. So right there, this gives you the difference between, uh, at least in that telescope, between sort of the maximum field of view you can get with a two inch eyepiece being 3.6 degrees and uh, the maximum field of view you can get with a 32 or, or a or, or any eyepiece that gives you the maximum in a 1.2 inch format. And that ends up being two degrees. And that is a significant field of view difference. The difference between a two degree field, true field, and a 3.6 degree uh, true field. So in terms of the moon, the moon being about half a degree across um, in the one and a quarter, you're only going to be able to fit four moons where in the, uh, in the, uh, the two inch format, you're gonna be able to fit more than seven moons across. So that kind of gives you uh, what, what we're looking at. It, it's a pretty noticeable uh, difference in field. That said, in the last episode, Shane talked about 0.96 uh, SMC orthos uh, for doing deep sky. You know, if you're looking at galaxies or planetary nebulas or things that are really small, uh, sort of all bets are off. It, it, this really doesn't apply to that. So you need to be able to match what you're observing uh, to these, these type of formulas. And honestly, that's like a lot of the fun for me is figuring out what eyepieces and optics are going to work best for seeing what objects, eh? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, um, you know, hopefully we didn't cause more confusion than maybe what already existed. <laughs> uh <-oh>. but, um, <laughs> no, no, I, I, not, not, a, not, a, not a criticism at all. It's just that these are some numbers and uh, concepts to be aware of. And, um, uh, you know, the field of view thing is a little bit of a mystery, I think. Um, I know it was for me, certainly, you know, when I was getting into the hobby, it was kind of hard to de decipher, you know, what some of these numbers meant and more so what it would mean for my viewing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I still remember, like I started, like probably many have started with the plossels that came with my telescope and uh, use those for an extensive amount of time. And my first eyepiece purchase outside of some plossels um, was a, what the heck was it? An 84 millimeter Spears Waller, um, oh, 10 millimeter, I think it was. 
And okay. I like could an 84 not, degree. Yeah. 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 I could not believe the difference that a wide field eyepiece made. Like I was just blown away yeah. by everything that I could see and, um, you know, really changed my, um, my, I guess, views, <laughs> uh, pun intended, I guess, on, on, you know, what eyepieces I preferred and, and, you know, what, um, uh, what advantages you gain by some of, some of these wider fields. So I had come into astronomy, I think just, just like really just a few years before you, I think like maybe like three or four years or something like that. And, um, I learned a valuable lesson. I, I had also purchased some of the Spears whalers, um, which are, uh, basically, like you said, like an, like 80 odd degree field to view and, uh, and much less expensive than, than anything else that, that was available, especially here in Canada. We have to go over the border and pay duty and exchange and, and uh, all kinds of other things. So um, what I wanted to say was that um, because I came a few years earlier, the uh, Spears Whalers were available in 70 degree uh, odd eye pieces. And so I had purchased a whole pile of those and used. And then... Um, like around the time when you came along, they, they were selling the 80 degree fields. And so I jumped on those. So I sold off my seventies and I replaced them with the eighties. And I was really disappointed because I found out a couple things. One is that in those focal lengths, to me anyway, it didn't really matter whether it was 70 or 80 degrees in, in those ones. Cause I think I had the 10 and 14 and maybe there was a seven or something like that. I think those are the ones I had. Um, but the 70 degree ones had better eye relief. So I could use them with my glasses much easier. And the eighties did not, I, I didn't know uh, the business of eye relief at the time. I just knew that wider was better. And so I should go with the wider ones. And I was, I was a little bit disappointed. They were, they were still good. And I didn't like switch back or anything. Um, but, but I do just mention that as well. So sometimes the, the wide field isn't necessarily the, the be-all to end-all. There, there's a lot of other factors uh, in play here when, when it comes to uh, two eyepieces. But when you are trying to get the maximum field of view, I think, uh, I think what we say here is, is probably the best guidance. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. Well, Shane, by the rapid succession of text messages I'm getting from you, it seems like we might be close to the end of our time. <laughs> <laughs> well, in an effort to avoid headaches on the back end, uh, <laughs> yep, we probably should wrap it up. <laughs> okay. Well, I think there's a couple of minutes. If you have anything left to add, uh, certainly you know quite a bit about this stuff. So uh, I'll give you the last word. Uh, no, Chris, we covered everything. Um, you know, maybe the last word is beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, and, and as always, you know, my recommendation is just to try different things to see what you like, because, uh, wider is not always better. Uh, orthos are not always better. It really depends on what you like to do and how you like to observe. Um, so if possible, try different gear and see what you like. Wow. That was very beautiful and eloquent. I'm, um, I have a tear in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> All well, right. Thanks I, so much, Shane. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>